and you are back live on The Wine Show, 96.5 Inner FM. My name is Phil Smith. Joining me via Zoom as co-host is Christina Kaig. Now, our next guest joining us via Zoom as well is Rob Hall from the Yarra Valley. G'day, Rob. How are you going? Good yourself, Phil. I'm really well. And how are you coping with lockdown? Uh, oh, you know, probably as, uh, as well as can be expected. It's, um, yeah... One of the lucky ones, really, being allowed to allowed to go to work, which is you know includes driving to the you know working at the winery, but also driving to the vineyard and working out there in the sun and and doing deliveries all over town, which is kind of uh, yeah, it feels like a bit of a treat being able to drive around and very quickly say hi to people as you drop off some wine. So it's, um, now I was actually going to bring up the fact that last year you bought a big white van almost like you knew yeah. something was going to happen and you just yeah, set yeah. up for the uh, the covid apocalypse yeah it's been pretty handy actually just load up the van with wine and drive around and it's um yeah it's it's been interesting and uh yeah direct sales and off the website have uh become really busy all of a sudden probably probably tripled in sort of direct sales over the last six months, which has, yeah, been very fortunate given that um, most of my sales are into restaurants and that's obviously uh, not going so well. But, um, but yeah, the, the direct's been really good. So it's What's driven that? Have you been working on getting more direct sales? I'd sort of been, I've been doing a little bit, not, not a lot of, um, I've never been a, a big social media user, um, but, uh, but I've been doing a lot of, going to events and things pinot palooza over the mm. last few years has been a, a really big one for me so i just prefer to talk face to face with people and as they're tasting the wine um so that one's been a big one and then a couple of other ones good food and wine show there was one there's an event called neighborhood wine walk which was really good fun which i did a few times and um which Stu has done as well um yeah, so those sort of things, like, yeah, just connecting directly with people over the last few years, it's actually uh, been, it's turned out to be more important than I uh, than I realised and actually should have been doing a lot more of it, to be honest. <laughs> Isn't it funny how people like to talk to the owner and the winemaker? That's what Stu was saying with these Zoom things. You know, they'll, when you've got the person who does everything, you know, it's such a wealth of knowledge and the connection you get, you feel like you're actually part of that brand. Yeah, no, it, I, it's funny sometimes too, you sort of... Uh, yeah, you, know, you sometimes drop some wine off to someone who's stored it online, and you don't know where they've found out about the the wine. And they, um, you start talking to them. It actually sometimes takes them a minute to realise that yeah, the person delivering the wine actually made it. It's sort of uh, it's pretty. They uh, it's not really what they're expecting. Um, expecting a courier to a courier to roll up, and then I think because I roll up in the van too. They that's that's what they yeah they're surprised to actually talk to you about the wine. It's good. <laughs> Sort of one of those underestimated advantages of, of lockdown is suddenly being the delivery the delivery person is your opportunity to to connect and brand yourself. It's quite <laughs> quite a strange advantage to have at the moment. Yeah, very weird. Yeah, it's um and it's and it's something that I'd probably been slowly wanting to build up over the you know, it was sort of a long term plan to sort of, you know, try and sell more and more direct and eventually hopefully sell everything direct. But um yeah, it's funny. This has sort of accelerated it quite a bit, which is, uh, yeah, which is a yeah, obviously silver lining. And the, um, I mean, it's still it's still not uh, still down quite quite a bit on normal um, on normal business, but 
but it is a yeah it feels like a really positive step um to be able to do more of that so, yeah it's great um, if I may sort of ask uh, for those of you, for those people who don't really know your brand and, and who you are, Yarra Valley is quite a, a small community. So, so they've probably already drunk a wine that you've made considering how many places you've worked. Um, would you be able to tell us a little bit about sort of where, where you've worked and, and why the Yarra and why you enjoy being in that space so much? Yep. Um, I grew up in Hillsville. So that um, obviously, uh, and my first sort of, uh, work in wine was when I was um, in high school working in doing some summer work in vineyards just for um, for a bit of cash and uh, that was the sort of that was the sort of work you did when you were a kid out there so um, and then but then I went away and did other things and it wasn't until I was sort of 25 26 that I came back and started to get into wine um, and then worked at a few places uh, Yarra Ridge which doesn't really exist anymore and um, and then Punt Road which does and uh, then I was at Mount Mary for 10 years and then Kelly Brook for three and then uh, and then yeah started my own thing in uh, 2014 um, and yeah I've been doing that ever since and I've noticed that you know your focus is Pinot and Chardonnay and earlier on in the show I was trying to get Christina to slip up a little bit but was there a reason why you picked those instead of sort of doing a lot more with Cabernet or even some some of the newer sort of Rhone varieties? Um, oh, look, I think the, I mean, they're all probably the, the three wines, um, main wines that I make, so Pinot Chardonnay and a, a Cabernet blend probably are my three favourite wines from the Yarra. Um, but it also, particularly Pinot, it's, um, it's also the one that easily sells, it outsells my other wines, you know, by three times. So it's sort of, you know, when you start your own small business making wine, you very quickly have to respond to what people want. Uh, you know, and I guess um, most of my business being um, selling into restaurants, I guess the, you know, Pinot, Pinot in Melbourne um, would out would outsell most other varieties and it's um so you sort of if you're in the Yarra you pretty much have to have a Pinot really <laughs> um it'd be weird not to but uh but then uh, but it probably is between that and Chardonnay they're just my two favorites um uh, if if I've got a bit of if I've got a wine that I can leave for 10 years or more then I really quite like Cabernet too um that's and that was a challenge I've sort of tried to make a Cabernet now that's does work really well when it's young, which is sort of easier said than done with Cabernet. But um, but yeah, but they that Cabernet, I guess, having been where I've worked, it sort of uh, made sense to be um, still making that too, I guess. But and, and I, I would probably make one of everything if I had <laughs> if I had the time. I quite like Sauvignon Blanc, the Yarra style. Like there's some really good ones at the moment um, that people are making. No one sells much of them, but um, but they can be quite good and all the Rhine varieties go pretty well too but um, at some point you've got to limit limit your range just for practical reasons too it's like uh, when you're when you're small and do everything yourself so. uh, do you think you'd ever dabble in something like I, I know there's quite a strong Italian varietal kind of pull in the Yarra at the moment mm. particularly with um, Nebbiolo specifically there's a lot of people who seem to be coming out with with releases of that um, Luke Luke Lambert and, and Timo Mayer come to mind pretty 
pretty quickly. Um, and De Bordelais always had a pretty strong hold in the Yarra Valley as one of the main producers. Do you think you'd ever, we haven't really talked about that sort of Italian pool, but have you ever thought about those kinds of varieties? I know you say you've got to limit it. Yeah, it, it's not something, uh, it's not something I, I would probably do partly just if I had access to some fruit somewhere and there's like, so there's limited plantings of um, Italian varieties in the Yarra and, I'm not in a phase with my business where I'm planting planting vines at the moment. Um, so I'd probably, if I had access to it, I probably would, but um, there's not a lot uh, out there and, um, and and that'd be one reason. But the other is, yeah, just, just the focus of, you know, if I said yes to every making every type of wine, it, I'd um, it'd just be a mess. Um, I do have a, I've, started making a Malbec, which is sort of, I suppose, a bit more in my, um, you know, I've had a bit of experience with in the past with which the Italian varieties I haven't. Um, so that sort of made a bit of sense to me. And then so this is, I'm playing around with a few things. I've done my first uh, last year, done my first uh, sparkling uh, traditional method, not the, uh, not doing all the, not doing the, the hipster stuff that you know, kids like Stuart are up to, you know, but um, Stuart, yeah, Stuart's still listening. Just for everyone, he's still in the chat. He's just muted, so he can't defend himself. <laughs> he can he can unmute and defend himself. Um, no, it's uh, yeah. So so doing doing things like that. There's there's lots of um, even within the the small range I've got. There's still plenty of there's plenty of things I can do to keep it interesting and and um, yeah. Uh, now, Rob, I wanted to ask, and this goes back to what Christina was telling us about at the start of the show. You have two two Chardonnays you make and two Pinots you make. One single site and one's a blend across the Yarra. What's and having obviously you you do both. What are the big differences and the advantages and disadvantages of of taking that on? Uh, that having the two different. Just yeah, having the single site versus uh, the blended across the Yarra. Um, I mean, I guess the single site for me, having the single site, um, uh, particularly because it's it's my folks' place and it's their vineyard, and but they didn't want anything to do with it anymore. So <laughs> I, I look after it now and um, and take the fruit from it. I think having a single site that you've got control over yourself, there's a real advantage in you know being able to uh, just grow the fruit exactly the way you want. Um, when you're buying fruit, I don't blame the growers at all. But when you're when you're buying fruit from growers, they you know often want to maximise the cropping levels and and minimise um, inputs as far as they can to try and you know they've got to, they've got to make a living. And um, but when it's your own site and you can do the work that you want to do, it's um, often the cost is just labour. You've got to get out there yourself and do that extra extra day. Um, so it kind of it. it you're more likely to get a, a good result. And I think this year actually is sort of um, uh, showing that up. There's a couple of, you know, we've had, had a pretty weird summer um, and certainly the extra little things you could do in your own vineyard sort of, you know, really help get through all the rain and that sort of thing. So it's, um, yeah, so that's the advantage of having your um, single site. But then it's, um, but then the, the other side is that if you, I mean, if you're relying solely on one site, then you know things like hail, or frost, or all sorts of things can get you to. And and so making a bigger volume of wine from 
uh, vineyards that you buy fruit from just gives you a bit more flexibility and um, and, you, and no matter how much love you put into your own single site too, things can still go wrong there. So having a bit of, having some, say, Pinot from two or three other sites as well just, uh, yeah, gives you uh, gives you options and, and, and you can ramp up um, your production a lot more easily too if you're, with your own vineyard, if you want to make more wine from that vineyard, it's you know it's a five-year minimum project, sort of planting more vines. Um, when you're starting out a business, that's pretty um, pretty capital intensive. So when you're uh, so if you're buying some of your fruit from other vineyards, it's you can very quickly ramp up your production. Um, just buy more fruit next year, basically. So so having a, I, I really think that having a good a good mix, a bit of a combination of both, some vineyard that you look after yourself. And some vineyard you buy fruit from it just gives you the the best of all worlds hopefully and you're back on the wine show 96.5 inner fm that was a gallows tree by bert jantz off the young man blues compilation just a reminder that if you want to take part of the show you can send us a text message 0456 965 965 that comes straight to my screen and you can ask questions and leave comments and make sure you put a name on there so I can chat you out. But we do have a text message from Anonymous. Hi, Phil. Great show. Great guests. Throw some other varieties in. Seems like there's a few making Gamay also now. By chance, drank Mac Forbes 100% Cabernet Franc and his Nebbiolo last night. Exciting wines to see. And now that is something that I didn't think about. But yeah, it's all very uh, classical Yarra Valley this time. We might have to do a follow-up and have a chat to some people who are making the alternative varieties. What a really great suggestion. And we can now welcome back. We have Christina Kaig and Rob Hall chatting to us about the Yarra Valley via Zoom. Uh, Rob, we were talking about your where you source your wines from and the advantages and disadvantages. The other thing I wanted to chat to you about was you're doing subscription packs now. And one of the things I miss, and Christina mentioned this too, is we can't really just catch up and try wines. And one of the fun things about visiting your winery, Rob, is there's always barrel tasting involved. And you're doing little um, little runs, like small runs of single barrel or single stuff that is just you know like almost having a barrel tasting with you can you tell us a little bit more about how that came about yeah i think um i think the i wanted to i sort of started wine club like a lot of wineries are now and um but one of the challenges of having a wine club when you're a really small producer is that with with a small range of wines is that you when people get there quarterly sort of wine delivery if you've only got a small range you're basically sending them the same exactly the same wines you sent them last time um you can't really it's harder to mix it up so i started and was admittedly inspired by uh probably by mac forbes eb range which is a really interesting sort of uh concept and it's like a baby version of that really where I, i sort of for each now for each sort of uh wine club pack that goes out i'll just pick a I'll do a pick a barrel or a, a batch or something and bottle off um, a really tiny quantity, just enough to uh, cover the wine club um, delivery. So at least each time the delivery happens, there'll be an, a wine that people haven't seen before and, and won't see again. Um, so I, d- I tend to pick, I think the one I just did was a sort of a, a, a fresh young Pinot went out in the, in the latest one and I've done a few different... Um, 
different things. I've got one coming up that I've, I've got a Solera Chardonnay that's been brewing away for four years, which is um, sort of a little bit. Of, it's just one barrel of Chardonnay, but I take a little bit out each year and then and put some fresh Chardonnay in with it. So that'll be going out occasionally. Um, that one will be interesting because I'll, if I send that that wine out once a year, it'll obviously be uh, constantly changing. So it gives me like the ability to also just have some fun with small things at the winery too and it gives you an incentive to make really tiny batches and because um, obviously when you when you've got a small range too often you see something like a you'll have a really cool little um ferment of pinot so a whole bunch of ferment that you really like but i don't do a you know a wine that's very bunchy um but being able to bottle that separately and um just for a bit of fun um for both myself and the customers is yeah it's just a it, it means having a really tiny range isn't quite as restrictive as it could be um, and i just and i called it the um i've just labeled it just a tangent series because they're all i usually picking a barrel that's yeah that is off on a bit of a tangent from the rest of the wine um something that's interesting and tastes quite different to the to the main blend basically do you find as a result of doing that kind of thing where you're essentially showcasing a winemaking technique to to your sort of regular regular drinkers who are familiar with your style that you get a little bit more engagement and people end up asking more of those kind of winemaking questions? Are people starting to ask you the the big influences of different like barrel coopers and you know this is this is uh, mm. this is what more new oak tastes like and this is more what more what sort of more whole bunch tastes like do you find that people get get more technical about it or, or do you find the fact that people are just excited about having that variety yeah i, I think that well i think both here yeah, you've um some customers silly because i don't i don't when i've done these when i do these things i don't put out a lot of information with them or anything it's just um try this and see anything and so i do get some people you know asking questions about why it's different to the rest of the blend and that sort of thing so it it does open, you know, give you a, um, uh, you know, sort of a point for people to engage on and ask questions about. And so it's, yeah, it opens up different conversations than the rest of your wine. So, yeah, definitely. Um, and then but some people are, yeah, I think, yeah, more in the second camp of what you just said. They're just, you know, just interested to be drinking something different. Um, yeah, so it's, yeah, all, all of the above. Yeah, but it is it is good. It gives it does give a lot of um, yeah. There's there's a lot of chance to showcase little things you do, and yeah, it does generate a bit of discussion. So. Yeah, and do you find that the you're talking about being quite small scale, like or exceptionally small in terms of having having th three wines and a sparkling? You said, yeah. um, does that compared to where else you've worked in terms of having larger scale production and more barrels and, and working with more growers and that kind of thing in your experience, does that massively impact the way that you make your wine in terms of how you approach sourcing barrels and, and how you approach picking and that kind of thing? Or do you find that the quality is always at the forefront of everything and, and it just, you have more hands and more resources if you're in a larger, larger sort of production space? Um, yeah, it's. I suppose everywhere I've worked has been slightly different. I think the first two places I worked were probably in the order of two to three thousand tons of grapes each year, um, and that was a very different um, uh, space. And I was, and but working in those places, I was really labouring 
essentially on the floor. I wasn't wouldn't wasn't uh, making any decisions at that point. Um, and then everywhere's different. So say Kelly Brook, where we worked, uh, was um, a yeah they they made beer cider um, had probably twelve maybe fifteen different wines. Um, and so there was, but quite a still not huge production. And then, but say Mount Mary, where I worked for a while, we only had the one vineyard. There was no fruit came in or ever went out of the place. And there was only four wines, like one wine of each layer. So that was hard because you, every batch of wine has to be, had to be good enough to make it into that level. Um, whereas in bigger places, there was more options for, um, yeah, for wines that don't fit into uh, a particular blend for instance and then so yeah so and then with my own thing i'm I, I do everything i work by myself in the winery essentially um and it so yeah and that that changes things so you've you've got to um once you buy the fruit i guess in my case it you know everything has to eventually has to make it into one of my wines so it's sort of similar in that you you, know, you can't afford to um too many slip-ups and that sort of thing with, uh, with different batches of wine. So, um, I guess you're pretty conservative um, with some batches and less so with others. Um, it's yeah, I'm not sure if I'm answering your question properly, yeah. but <laughs> it's um, yeah, every, every winery is different, I think, and, and just and price and how much you've spent on the fruit all influences your decisions. And, yeah. Is it hard when you're working at those bigger places to spot <laughs> issues before they become big issues? I think, yeah, it probably is. And I think that particularly the um, first place I worked here, Ridge was pretty big and um, there was a lot of, you saw a lot of, um, you did see batches sort of go wrong um, from time to time, but often they were, some of the blends were so big that it wasn't that big a deal. They, they'd, you'd say some of the mistakes, you wouldn't actually notice them in the blend in some ways, but working in a huge place like that, it was interesting because you, it was a good learning experience because you got to see so many um, things not quite go right, that it was, uh, you, you learnt to recognise problems. Um, you probably learnt to recognise problems more quickly because you've seen them more often. Um, sometimes in a smaller winery, you have, if you have a good vintage, if the weather's been kind to you and you're buying from good vineyards, you'll go three or four years without a single thing going wrong, really, and you can start to get sort of a bit, think, oh, yeah, this is pretty easy. And then uh, and then you have more difficult years, like, say, 2019, where it was, you know, it was pretty warm, and then this one was, this one's turned out really well, but it was, but it wasn't easy. It was challenging. Um, yeah, it's sort of uh, working in the big places and seeing lots of that sort of stuff, the difficulties with, keeping on top of everything is um, is actually a really good learning experience. Uh, Rob, unfortunately, we're going to have to make a move. We've got our next guest, Tilly, sitting here on mute. Um, it's been great talking to you. You're an absolute font of knowledge for winemaking and I always find I learn a lot when I speak to you. Where can people find your wines and order them so they can have you rock up on their doorstep and <laughs> drop it yourself? Uh, yeah, just uh, Rob Hall Wine with no S, uh, wine.com.au is the best place. And, um, yeah, no, thanks for having me. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, always good to have a chat to you and, and good to see you've got a bit of a – you've got quite a few people coming through today. It's good. 
Oh, and the the chats off air are actually almost more illuminating than stuff on air. So we might have to find a way to harness the uh, the off camera chats. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and now, guys, the one thing I will say, while Rob is still here, the subscription stuff looks amazing. And in fact, I've been talking to Rob about subscribing myself so I can get the single barrel things because as I, I've been lucky enough to try in the barrel hall with Rob a couple of times and there's always interesting things there and wines where you go, oh, I could drink that right now. So definitely worth having a look at that, if nothing else. And as Rob said, he's going to drop it off himself. There's not going to be some anonymous courier breaking your wine on your doorstep, which is heartbreaking. <laughs> 